The following is a Poppy Chulo Radio original program. The views and opinions expressed in the commentaries and or interviews in the following program are solely those of the individuals and are not views of Poppy Chulo Radio, its parent, affiliate, or subsidiary companies. Welcome to the Cordyceps Chronicles, a PoppyChuloRadio.com original series. PoppyChulo Radio, pop culture on demand. Today is Monday, February 20th, 2023, and I'm your host, Jeffrey Aruz. During this podcast, we'll be having an in-depth discussion on HBO's The Last of Us. Please welcome my co-host, Vinny Hatcher. Hello. Yes, uh, we miss you, Priscilla. Priscilla could not be with us here yes. tonight we're gonna miss your game expertise but uh we will somehow trek along just like joel and ellie have at least for three months at a certain point in this episode this so equivalent of going through a winter wasteland in wyoming exactly so let's jump into our discussion of season one episode six which was titled kin and debuted february 19th 2023 on hbo Here's the official synopsis of the episode. After ignoring the advice of locals, Joel and Ellie descend deeper into dangerous territory in search for the Fireflies and Tommy. Okay, so this episode kicked off in a way that I was not expecting. I was like, why did y'all do this? We had to get a freaking flashback to damn... uh, Henry shooting himself uh, and, and Sam turning and all that kind of stuff. It was just like, I didn't need to see any of that again. <laughs> like it was so emotional right. for me last time. And I was like, did we have to start off again with like the most horrific traumatic moment of the series? And yes, we did because, you know, why not continue pulling at or, or you know, shoving the dagger deeper into our hearts but fortunately there is a bit of a breather immediately after that there's a major time jump so that means for the most part uh, we're not dealing with the immediate grieving aftermath of the situation uh, time has passed uh, the the traumas are still lingering but we see our duo in a new area and uh, we also meet another duo, a man and his wife, whom, uh, well, Joel uh, was visiting with, and visiting is probably the um, nicest way to say what he was doing, but he was given some soup. Um, can I just say, for me, Vinny, like, the fact that this section was so light... Uh, was really nice after the reminder of uh, just the harrowing darkness of the end of the previous episode. What did you think of uh, Florence and Marlin and our little uh, 
little mini side story as uh, both Joel and Ellie are uh, welcomed into Wyoming. Oh, this was great. It was such an awkward experience for all of them involved in the story in this moment. But I, it was almost, it took me kind of back to that show All in the Family with Archie Bunker because the guy walks in the door and he's just kind of gruff and grumpy and matter of fact. And the wife is like, uh-huh, I did. It, it was hilarious. It was a, a light moment after having to revisit the uh, murder and suicide of Henry and Sam. Um, but no, I really, really enjoyed it. I, I think my favorite was the wife. She was just so great. She had these like zingers that didn't sound like zingers, but they were zingers. And just the whole dynamic. I probably would have been happy watching an entire episode with the four of them, honestly. Right. I agree with you. I 100% agree with you. Uh, Florence was spectacular. Marlon was great. I loved their reaction to Ellie. Uh, you know, because Ellie is oh, yeah. Ellie's Ellie. And Ellie is unfiltered. And will drop every F-bomb that she can. And uh, just, like, yeah, Marlon was spectacular. And then Florence playing off of Marlon. It, w- it was just so good. Like, I loved this moment. I don't know if we will ever see these two characters again. Based off of the fact that uh, we're watching The Last of Us. And the track record of seeing characters from previous episodes. Um, well, also the fact that many of them die. But um, I'm glad that they were left alive. Uh, and uh, it's just nice knowing, like, this quirky couple is out there in, you know, post-apocalyptic America. So after we leave uh, Florence and Marlon, they do provide, I will say, a little bit of guidance and assistance in regards to, uh, you know, the map, where they should go. They label a river, the River of Death, basically saying that, I guess, Marlin and, and, and Florence, when they've been out um, scavenging, um, hunting, uh, and that sort of thing, they've noticed that infected and human... Uh, bodies uh, pile up at the river. So something, someone deep in the woods on that side of the river is uh, doing that to uh, things, people and and, and infected. And uh, Joel and Ali, they both decide to go to the river of death because they have to find out where Tommy is. So we see them trek, and uh, it is quite, you know, it, it's kind of enjoyable hearing them talk. You can tell that their bond has grown a lot. I'm going to jump into, like, the next time they trek, um, and, and I want to discuss with you, Vinny, what did you think of just the bond between Joel and Ellie in this episode, because clearly, you know, in these moments when we see them just on their journey, their bond has grown immensely in those three months that we didn't see. What's your take on it? Well, you know, coming off of the massively traumatic experience with Henry and Sam and Kathleen, 
they were bound to be emotionally raw because I think they both were incredibly excited at the prospect of having, you know, not only two additional people on the sojourn with them, but someone else at least close in relativity to Ellie's age because she doesn't get that a lot. She's been surrounded by adults carting her around. You know, Joel had to have been relieved that, you know, now I have another man I can talk to. I can get some adult kinship and not be stuck with the child. And then have that so quickly just unfairly taken away from them no matter how stoic you are in joel's case and no matter how hard you are in ellie's case it's something that's really going to get to you unless you're inhuman and neither of them are they're very emotional people who hide behind walls and walls and walls and more walls so i thought this was a natural progression of their relationship having them come out of a point of trauma and be a little bit less guarded with each other and open to developing some kind of a, I don't want to say parental relationship, but a friendship, you know? And I was happy that that's the route that this went because that's kind of what ends up happening is the, in the game is like over time from what I understand, you know, they do become closer. And I think that this was handled really, really well. The things that we got to see with the way they were talking and the way they were kind of joking, I thought it was really, really well done and very fitting after what they just went through. They also had some really interesting conversations. They, uh, well, Ellie sort of brings up the fact that, you know, if she, as the cure, works, like, what would Joel do? And he basically says that he would uh, become a sheep farmer because they're quiet. And she talks about her love of space and the cosmos and how she would love to basically be an astronaut. And, but then the conversation turns you know, it goes from hopeful to worrisome because uh, Ellie's like, what if it doesn't work? You know, what if, what if this is all for naught? And uh, Joel does his best to reassure her that Marlene would not send both of them on this cross-country journey if she didn't think that, the, that A, Ellie is the cure and B that the fireflies did not have um, or could not manufacture a cure for her because she ends up talking about what she did with Sam and, uh, you know, cutting herself and rubbing the blood on him. And, and, you know, she clearly, she expressed that she understood at least the science that, you know, that probably is not the way that it works, which I thought was incredibly mature for someone her age. And especially because, you know, she lives in a, I mean, let's be real, in sort of like a vast wasteland of knowledge. Like, you know, there there isn't that knowledge out there. And, uh, you know, the entire new generation probably has no idea how a vaccine is made and that sort of thing. But what's, what's your take on those conversations, Vinny? I think they were very open and honest and, and frankly, very mature and realistic. And it was kind of nice to, you know, hear them talking openly about these things because it's very easy to have these little sections full of fluff you know, the travel sections and keeping it light and whatnot. But the fact that they turn their conversations to more serious matters and what comes after and, you know, what if this happens? What if this doesn't happen? It's I think it added a ground of realism to it. That was really, really awesome. I, th I think this episode had some of the best dialogue that we've seen back since the episode with Frank and uh, I forgot the other guy's name, but the the two guys. Um, Frank and Bill. <laughs> Yes, Frank and Bill. It was really well written, and I think dialogue was very heavy in this episode because there were a lot of very pointed and emotional sessions between different characters, and 
I really, really enjoyed the travel sections in this episode when it was just the two of them because of the bonding, but also because of the realism. You know, it's they're on this mission, but what happens if it doesn't work? What do you do? And then what do you do if it does work? When you're posed with a precarious position like this, it's always best to be as pragmatic as possible and, you know, think about what am I going to do in either possible outcome? And I like that they discuss that a lot, actually. There are a lot of emotional moments in this episode, and we will be getting to a couple of them very, very soon. So we see Joel and Ellie, they cross a bridge over the river. They're perfectly fine. Um, then we see them run into a dam uh, and uh, another river. And then this is when Ellie's like, well, what if this is the river of death? And uh, they end up getting surrounded by masked and armed individuals on horseback. And the this group um, asks them to separate themselves, and they bring out a dog that they say can smell an infected person. And if, you know, one of them is infected, the dog will rip them to shreds. We see the dog sniff Joel. He is clear and fine. Then the dog seems a little apprehensive around Ellie, and we focus on Joel. And we saw him earlier um, when he left the home of Florence and Marlon, you know, when Marlon basically said, if Tommy is out on that side of the river, um, he, he could be dead. We see Joel sort of, like, overcome with emotion at that moment, and then we see him sort of like frozen in fear and emotion as the camera like lingers on Pedro Pascal's character while the dog approaches Ellie. And uh, then, you know, the dog ends up actually embracing Ellie or getting embraced by Ellie, much like the dog was embraced by Joel just moments before. Uh, so it's it's unsure if the dog can actually tell who's affected or not, maybe, or, or it's unclear also if, you know, Ellie, you know, based off of her immunity, even though she was bit, and we clearly have seen the scar on her, if, you know, whatever is in her has completely cleared up the infection, and we're gonna have to we're gonna have to find some scientists for all that kind of stuff. But it was an incredibly tense moment and one of the masked individuals she ends up asking joel who he is because he tells them that he's just looking for his brother and he says his name and uh, then we see them uh, uh, accept joel and ellie and uh, they take them to their um, commune before we get there though let's talk about this incredibly tense moment now clearly Vinny. This is The Last of Us. This is Ellie's show. Uh, so, uh, if anything, like, uh, you know, for me, like, I believe Ellie has the most amount of plot armor. Like, she is protected. Like, there is no way anything is going to happen to Ellie. But yet, I was still a little bit nervous about what this moment was going to bring. I don't know if you were, felt the same, but let's talk about this. Honestly, the moment they pulled up, I had a feeling this was going to be in relation to Tommy. Um, it was There was so much emphasis put on the river of death and there's bodies, clickers, and humans and all of that. 
it kind of gave it away to me that this was probably some kind of like red herring that was hiding something, which was going to be like an outpost where Tommy was hiding. Um, and I was close. I mean, he wasn't hiding. He, he's living happily. So I, I wasn't overly worried, but it was done really, really well with the actors. You know, Ellie and Joel standing there, unsure what was about to happen. And with the dog, you know, she is technically potentially infected, but just able to be a carrier or she's cured. We don't know, like you said. So that was a moment where I, I didn't know what to expect. But my thought process about how this had to leave the Tommy led me to believe that everything was going to be okay. So I did kind of have a guess. So I didn't worry too much. But that aside, it was filmed really, really well. This was a tense standoff between strangers. And I think it was a great way to introduce the community because it shows that the people that are in this community, they care about guarding it and they care about being careful. And it's it's nice to have some kind of maybe reassurance that this time when they head into some place, it's maybe not going to immediately go to shit or have already gone to shit because there are people who are genuinely caring about, you know, keeping it thriving. Um, but it was interesting, the whole Wild West of it all with the horses and the Wyoming wildlands and, you know, Rutino Wesley's, <laughs> that, that iconic face, even though it was masked, I still recognized her immediately and I cheered. I knew she was going to be in the episode. I just didn't know when she was going to show up. So, yeah, I loved it. All right. Awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, good. I'm glad, I'm glad that you had a positive experience. I will say this, you know, based off of the promo from last week, like I knew where we were headed because they completely spoiled everything about uh, the commune and Tommy and that sort of thing. Uh, but still, for a moment, I was just worried about the dog. Like, I had no idea how the dog was going to react. Like, I didn't think that the dog was going to even rip her to shreds, but I was very nervous about the dog situation. Like, for me, like, even though I knew that we were headed into a reunion, like, I was still nervous. Like, I was on the edge of my seat. I was, like, very worried about how that dog was going to react and interact with Ellie. Now... Let's talk about Rutina Wesley, as well as all of, of the new individuals in the new area that we will be, uh, or that we were introduced to in this episode. So uh, this group ends up taking Joel and Ellie to their compound, their commune, this community that they've built. And we are introduced to Jackson, a thriving community complete with shops, a giant Christmas tree, children playing, and a reminder that life could potentially be lived normally after the outbreak. And uh, it isn't long until uh, Joel ends up seeing his brother Tommy. He calls out to him, and they just embrace in the middle of the street, uh, just ridiculously overcome with joy at seeing each other again. And uh, we see them catching up inside a sort of dining hall. Joel and Ellie uh, eat real food for the first time for Joel in a long time for Ellie ever as Tommy and Maria, the woman that uh, spoke to Joel uh, while on horseback, uh, are, you know, just getting, you know, as much, not, not as much information, but, you know, 
asking questions and, and, you know, just finding out what they're up to and that sort of thing. Uh, Joel says that he would like to speak with his brother, you know, because this is a family matter. And uh, basically Tommy says that she is family. And uh, we see that Tommy and Maria are a couple. They're, they're married. Um, we also get a little bit of interesting dialogue because Joel and Ellie are kind of apprehensive about the situation based off of what they were told about what was out beyond those woods from the river. And Maria explains that, you know, the dead bodies were people that tried them. You know, they've tried to be very careful about who they've let inside their community. And the ones, the bad seeds, are the ones that um, tried to uh, shake things up in a way that they were not receptive to. And Tommy basically follows up with, by saying that a bad reputation doesn't necessarily make you bad. So let's talk about this. The conversation that they're having. We do have, uh, you know, it, the, the surprising revelation that Tommy and Maria are married. Surprising for Joel because he wasn't expecting any of that shit. Uh, what do you think of the reunion, Vinny, of Joel and Tommy? And then the conversation that our twosome had with this new twosome. I expected the reunion between Tommy and Joel to be much more negative in the beginning. You know, there's been this whole play-by-play of my brother, we're going to get to him, he's out there, but there was this whole story that we don't know why they separated. You know, they parted ways back in the day, and we got a little tidbit here and there, so I just had this image of there being some massive rift between them that they were going to have to surpass before we got to their brotherly reunion. But that was a surprise because that's not what happened. And I actually was okay with it being kind of a hallmark moment because, you know, the one thing about family is eventually no matter what happens between you, there's always, whether it's good or bad, there's a connection between the two of you. And there's always those moments where, you know, most human people try to be decent when they see a family member they haven't seen in a long time, whether it's to prevent something negative or because they're nervous or whatever, you know, but it wasn't tense. It was very hallmark. It was very almost like I expected them to be running in slow motion across the the street to hug each other. Um, And I like how, which we'll get into later, how it was almost flipped. There was the super positive, emotional, happy reunion and introduction to the new life that Tommy has followed then by the heart to heart that we'll get into later. I thought this was actually a great way to do it because the thing with Joel is he's such an Eeyore Like, literally, every time I see Joel on screen in this, I just think of Eeyore and Winnie the Pooh, just the way he talks. And it's not a bad thing. That's the type of character he is. He's gruff. And you could start to see his facade shatter the moment that he saw his brother. It was his connection to his past, which by proxy is a connection to his daughter. And it's very hard for you to hide your true feelings from someone who went through something so horrible with you. And so right from the beginning, you could tell the brothers had a very open and honest relationship. And I kind of really enjoyed that. But I think my favorite part of this whole section was when Ellie just up and says, yeah, you got two old people out there shitting themselves. Like, that was great. Like, Ellie has definitely become the deadpan delivery of this series. And I love it. You know, when when Joel's like, hey, manners. 
And when she's like, hey, what about her manners? Why don't I teach her how to talk? I There was a really great balance between brevity and levity in this episode with the writing. It wasn't just completely one note or really upped crazy, stressful antics. It was a more mellow episode for the most part and very, as I said, dialogue driven. And I really enjoyed, you know, she's family because obviously she was going to be connected somehow. And Tommy has obviously redeemed himself and changed and turned over a new leaf and all of that. And he's happy. And so it was really interesting watching that play out with Joel because Joel is seeing everything that his brother's become. And it's like the polar opposite of how he sees himself. And that just made it hurt all the more. So as this introduction was being, you know, taking place, you could really start to see Joel is slowly falling apart. And it started as early as the beginning of the episode. Like he's trying to make Ellie better by opening himself up a little bit to her. Cause they both went through the thing with Henry and Sam. And now they're, back in front of his brother and him and all those feelings, seeing his brother is coming up. Pedro Pascal did a fucking bang up job throughout start to finish on this episode. And in this segment, particularly the way that he was very dad, like with Ellie just hints at how much she has actually come to meet him. So I really, really enjoyed it. And I love Maria didn't say much, but when she did, it was very weighted, which is what I love about Rutina Wesley. So yeah, this was really great. Yeah, Rutina Wesley is everything. She's spectacular. Loved her on True Blood. Uh, love her on, or loved because it's over, but Queen Sugar for the listeners. If if you've never seen it, it's an underrated gem. Uh, she brought a lot to Maria, and, and I agree with you with just the very little that she said, at least in this sequence. Uh, the reunion just, it, it filled my heart with joy. It was just so wonderful. I mean, because we have to remember it's been years since Joel has seen his brother. So seeing them back together was really, really nice. Gabriel Luna as Tommy is just fantastic, like wonderfully cast. Um, He's just so good. And uh, seeing them all together was really, really nice. So after the conversation there, we... uh, What we have... uh, uh, Tommy and Maria taking Joel and Ellie on a tour of Jackson. And so we get a little bit of a download about what this community is. Uh, Maria settled there with you know just a handful of people uh, about uh, seven years ago. And uh, they ended up building out from an enclosed community. And, uh, yes, they have experienced, occasionally, raiders and infected, but uh, the people of Jackson have learned to stay quiet and off people's radar. You know, as she said, it it sort of helps that they're in the middle of nowhere. They also stay off the radio um, so that, you know, they don't bring any attention to where they are. Um... We, we also see uh, Tommy look at Joel when uh, they mentioned staying off the radio, um, you know, because, hello, Tommy and Joel are all about the radio. Jackson has it all, a school, electricity, uh, laundry, heat, uh, sewers. Uh, they end up uh, basically getting their electrical source from the dam, 
don't ask Joel about how dams work because he has no clue. And I'll be honest, I don't. I, I don't know if any does. Um, we all, they also have sheep, to which uh, Ellie ends up saying, like, hey, your dream of sheep, and that sort of thing. Um, so... So let let's talk about this. Yeah, let's let's stop right here and talk about just Jackson period. What did you think of Jackson as a whole? I mean, this isn't the first time we've seen like a strong community, you know, living in a post-apocalyptic world. Like we've seen that in other post-apocalyptic productions. The Walking Dead is uh one that I always reference because that is like the, one of the most recent television adaptations of a post-apocalyptic world. But what's your take on Jackson, Vinny? Were you impressed? Do you know how to dam? Do you know how I a dam not. works? Damn it. I don't know how to dam. <laughs> okay. Neither do I. You know, it's because of The Walking Dead. I'm actually, we're finally working on finishing that series. We're on the last season and it's anytime I see a thriving settlement, I have two thoughts. Where is the snake in the grass? That's going to fuck everything up and how long until it falls <laughs> because it's almost always too good to be true. You know, like in situations like this, you're always wondering like how long until something happens that, you know, causes people to die or someone betrays someone or kills someone. But in the beginning, you, you have that moment of hope. And I think with this one, it was interesting because I didn't have that damning doom feeling that something was going to go wrong. I felt like, you know, they're remote. The clickers prefer the cities and the more populated areas and all of that. And it's really, really remote here. So I think they have a good chance. So I didn't immediately go like, oh, shit, what's going to happen that's going to make this go to hell? Uh, I thought for a moment maybe Joel and Ellie were going to do something that was going to fuck everything up. But, you know, overall... It, Jackson looked like a Christmas town in a Hallmark movie. Like literally just there's like fences with sheep in the pens with sheep in them and they've got running water and they've got a town hall and they're watching movies. But the thing about situations like this, I feel like, and this has always been kind of my problem is that we're probably not going to see it. We probably won't go back to Jackson, but places like this, you get very comfortable and this isn't necessarily anything about the story. This is just my own philosophy with, with civilizations or communities like this. You know, it's really interesting how desperate people are to rebuild things the way that they used to be. And these guys are in like the the rose colored glasses stage. But you got to be careful because eventually, as we saw with places like the Commonwealth and the Walking Dead, you know, things like classism and snobbery and theft and skullduggery, you know, eventually come into play. So it's it's always nice to see a thriving community, but you always wonder when people are going to get to the point where they get too comfortable and then things start to deteriorate from the outside in. That is very true. Uh, hopefully our Walking Dead sensibilities don't taint this wonderful community because so far, <laughs> I mean, you know, they seem really nice uh, based off of what Maria said. You know, it's um, it's it's a commune. Uh, Joel is like, oh, communism. But she basically is like, you know, we all work together, we all share the responsibilities, and we all reap the benefits. Now, even though Priscilla's not here, I do have a little bit, little tidbit about how any and all of this relates to the game. So, first of all, in the game, the majority of 
the exposition-y, action-y type of elements that we saw in this episode are actually featured at the dam. The Jackson community that we see in this episode is very much the Jackson community that we see in The Last of Us Part 2. So uh, we, we um, well, at least the writers, uh, have kind of remixed a little bit and brought in an element from the second game into this um, first season, which is an, a um, visual representation, a media representation, I should say, of uh, the first game, which is an interesting little tidbit, I would say. So, after this, after the tour, Tommy takes Joel to a bar, and they end up talking about, you know, what's been going on. Uh, what what has been uh, happening with Joel? He asks about Tess, and Joel lies and says that she's doing fine. He, uh, he being Tommy, asks about Ellie, and Joel says that she's sort of like the daughter of this big muckety-muck firefly type of person, and that her family is somewhere nearby, and uh, this, that, or the other, and, and he sort of took advantage of the situation so that he could find Tommy while he is out there. And... Uh, Joel ends up asking if Tommy knows where the Fireflies are, and Tommy ends up referencing a base at the University of Eastern Colorado, which is about a week's ride south, and that the path along that way is a little treacherous. And Joel's like, oh, but it'll be easy with you, Tommy. And Tommy replies that he can't go. And Joel is initially questioning if, if it's whether Maria, his wife, won't let him go. And, and he wonders if that's the reason why he ended up um, stopping responding on the radio and communicating on the radio. And Tommy basically says that after he ditched the Fireflies, that Maria and her group found him, took him in, and all he had to do was follow their rules. And he explains that he has to be careful so, so that the wrong people don't find their community and uh, he also explains that Maria is pregnant and uh, that that completely has changed his point of view on how much he wants to risk you know he explains that yes they risked stuff in the past they had murdered people they had done nefarious things but he can't take that chance anymore. This whole conversation really shakes Joel. You know, he runs the gamut of emotions from like anger to disappointment, sadness. When he leaves the bar outside, you know, we see him once again, you know, have a really intense moment where, you know, he it looks like he's about to pass out. And then he sees a girl that looks like his daughter Sarah, you know, from behind. And, uh, you know, she turns around and clearly, you know, it, it, it's not her, but it's this entire moment shakes him. Before we pause, I just want to get in Ellie's conversation with Maria. 
So um, Ellie is taken to the home in which she is going to share with Joel. It's actually a home that's right across the street from uh, Tommy and Maria. Uh, Maria has left some fresh clothes for Ellie, a, a diva cup to which Ellie sort of picks up, reads the instructions, like, ooh, gross. And a note that says that Maria is across the street. Ellie goes to Maria's house. She ends up seeing a bit of a memorial above uh, the fireplace with uh, the date of birth and the date of death of Kevin and Sarah, as well as two candles in front of it. Um, we end up finding out that Kevin was uh, Maria's child and uh, clearly we know who Sarah is uh, Maria and Sarah have a chat after not Maria and Sarah Maria and Ellie have a chat after Maria gives Ellie a jacket and as well as a haircut and we find out that Maria was an attorney before the world went to you know and uh Maria also mentions that she saw that um, Ellie was at the memorial, and that's when Maria explains her child and that Sarah was Joel's daughter. And Ellie finds this brand new information. She says that Joel, you know, basically says, doesn't speak about his past as much. He's a man of few words. And this is when Maria uh, says that she's not going to ask what Ellie is doing with Joel, but basically says that she knows um, she knows the type of person that Joel is. And, and this is when Ellie defends Joel, saying, yes, he used to kill people. He doesn't kill innocent ones anymore. And uh, she even is like, hey, your man Tommy did it as well. And uh, Maria sort of counterpoints that, she, that Tommy was following Joel and that Ellie is now following him. And uh, they, they sort of get into it. And basically, the gist of the conversation is that Maria tells Ellie, be careful who you put your faith in. The only people who can betray us are the ones we trust. So, let's break down both conversations. Both one-on-one -on -one conversations, but both really intense one-on-one -on -one conversations that our two leads had with, uh, you know, to two different characters in this episode. Your thoughts on both combos, Vinny? Again, just coming back to how dialogue heavy this episode was, I think there was just some really, you know, simple but honest and open conversations with Maria and Ellie. I think it was really important to have this kind of female bonding moment for Ellie because, you know, she had Tess very briefly. And now this is yet another woman who, like, right out of nowhere is being kind of like, I don't want to say motherly because that's going a little bit too far, but protective. And it lets you in a little bit on Maria's character and who she is. She's someone that, you know, she knows the history between Joel and Tommy, and she knows what they used to do. And now Joel shows up, and she's probably worried that he's going to cause some shit, and he's got this young girl with him. So, you know, I like the fact that she wasn't coming from a place where she was trying to manipulate. She was being honest and open, you know, talking about Sarah a little bit and talking about the history and making sure that Ellie knew what she was getting into. Um, overall, I, I think just the, the, the conversation scenes in the town were really, really point, not point, it's not the right word, but uh, I can't think of the right word. Maybe 
real is probably i keep saying that but that's the thing is like you know these conversations that like needed to happen and especially with joel and tommy just kind of talking about you know this is why i I need you to do this and oh you can't because of this and i don't think i'm going to be a good dad their conversation between the two brothers was really really eye-opening because we haven't seen their relationship since the first episode and to see the brotherly bond was still there as well as, you know, the realism of Joel's feelings and how he was afraid of what he was doing and what he was going to do and how he couldn't protect her. You can really just goes back to what I said before. His facade is crumbling and he is worried that he's not going to be able to save her and he's going to fail again. He has this massive inferiority complex when it comes to protecting the people that he loves. So even though nothing was really happening in this episode until much later in it, the emotional ante was just continually upped by the revelations and just the open conversations that happened. And I thought they were great. Totally. Oh gosh. Both conversations were incredibly intense, incredibly necessary, uh, and just fantastic to watch. I mean, the show does a fantastic job with casting the actors because, Ooh, Good grief. The emotions of Tommy and Joel at the bar, and then the intensity of Maria and Ellie together. And Maria, you know, at the end of the day, like, Maria's just looking out for Ellie. And and also, at the end of the day, like, Tommy's looking out for himself and, and his family and, and the community that he has uh, created and built. Um, so the the stakes are high for this brand new couple that we were introduced to in this episode. And, and I completely understand why they are reacting the way that they are to Joel and Ellie. But yet, like we know these two characters, like we've been experiencing what they've been experiencing for the past handful of episodes. So we know Joel and Ellie and we know what they're trying to do and how they're trying to change the world. So it's like, I fully see the counter argument, but you know, I'm I'm still team Joel and Ellie and I want them to succeed in what they're trying to do. Um but I will say Maria's advice was really good. Just period. Like, you know, it's it's best not to fully trust somebody because then they can't uh they can't betray you. I was like, okay, that those are fantastic bits of uh bit of advice right there. Okay, so Maria ends up inviting Ellie to go to the movies because yes, in Jackson they have a movie theater and they go see the goodbye girl. And Ellie sees that Maria and Tommy are having a conversation and they end up, you know, going and having a chat about, I guess, what Joel had said. Joel is trying to fix his shoes at a nearby shop. Like we had seen him fixing his shoes earlier by using some duct tape and uh tommy ends up bringing a new pair of boots for joel he apologizes because uh you know he knows that what he said you know must have been hard for joel and that joel has been um living a hard life without him and uh joel you know basically asks you know the serious question you know is going to the college a suicide mission and Tommy says no, but it is a hard mission, but nothing that Joel can't handle. And this is when Joel, um, you know, gives a whole bunch of information. Like, basically, he gives the truth to, to Tommy that Ellie is immune and uh, that 
uh, you know, this is a journey to some fireflies who can create a um, some sort of cure for what's going down with the, the cordyceps um, infection. Uh, Tommy ends up asking him to break everything down, and so he breaks down everything that happened before, you know, and everything that happened once Joel met Ellie. And he even explains that Tess is dead and that this was her dying wish to uh, have Joel make the cross-country trek. And, uh, yeah, and so he also explains that there was a moment when Ellie had to save him, and he isn't sure if it's because he's deaf in one ear or if he was too slow. He starts questioning if he can protect Ellie, and he also expresses that he's been having these moments where, you know, he, he kind of has a panic attack. And he isn't sure if he can properly protect her, but he feels overly protective of her. And that's why he wants Tommy to take her. He is scared that if he makes this journey and something happens, he's not going to be able to protect Ellie because he's been having moments in which this fear overcomes him and he freezes and he's so scared that he feels like his heart is just going to stop. He also says that he dreams every night, but he can't remember any of his dreams, but he feels that he's lost something. So he says that he's even failing in his sleep. And so Tommy ends up basically agreeing to uh, to take Ellie instead of uh, Joel. Now, let's talk about this, because good grief, Pedro Pascal. If, if he hadn't earned an Emmy nomination throughout the series, in my opinion, it is this scene. Period. Like, this is going to be in his acting reel in, in the future. I mean, he's a big star now, so I don't know if he has an acting reel, but if he were to make one, this scene would be in it. Let's talk about this, because my interpretation of this, and I don't know if you're feeling the same way, Vinny, it's that Joel hasn't cared for someone, hasn't let himself sort of, like, consciously admit that he cares for someone in, like, 20 years. Like, I mean, like, I do feel like he cared about Tess, but he never really openly said it. And now he's got Ellie, and I think he's really starting to care for her. He just doesn't know how to express it, and it's him caring, worrying about her that is, you know, creating this fear inside of him because he doesn't want to fail. He doesn't want to lose her. Is that how you interpret it as well? Yeah, I think it's very important to emphasize the he didn't let himself admit it because here's the thing. You can try all you want to be hard-shelled all the way through, but there's still going to be that soft, gooey center. Even if you don't let it emit outward, it's still always going to be there. So he's never had anyone that has tested him so continually to care. You know, when it comes to romantic love, I think sometimes it's it's very different from familial bonds and friendship bonds. It's It's hard to describe, but I think for him it was easier to hide away from romance than it was to hide away from these bonds, like what he's developing with Ellie. They're two different kinds of love and caring. And 
he was able to steer himself very clear of the father-daughter type scenario much easier than he is a romantic bond, right? Because he has control over his life. You know, if he doesn't want to get involved with a child or care about anybody, he can easily remove himself from situations where that happens because he knows that's his kryptonite. With romance, that's like a byblow of his reticence to care about someone in a familiar way. So he's like, you know what, maybe I'll have sex, maybe I'll do this, but I'm not going to. It's easier for him, if that makes sense, to separate the two. So with Tess, I think he definitely did care about her, but she didn't get all the way through to his core. But when it comes to something that was out of his control, which is the scenario with Ellie, I don't think he realized how early on she started triggering these protective mechanisms that he still has in hibernation from his daughter. And he he was fighting it at first subconsciously, but even then consciously. And now we're at this point where the panic is welling up. He just watched Sam and Henry go through something very similar to losing someone you love. He, lost, he, he watched a brother kill his brother, you know, in a very traumatic, tragic experience akin to what he went through with Sarah. So his facade is crumbling. And the problem when you suppress traumatic shit like this is it starts to manifest itself in ways that you might not expect. So the panic attacks, you know, he he doesn't have control over them, but they're very clearly derived from the internal conflict that he's having emotionally. And he's starting to have all these fears come back that he hasn't felt for 20 plus years because Ellie got under his skin. Even though he thought he was fighting it, she's gotten under his skin and he may have given her a little bit of leeway because of what they went through with Henry and Sam, but that little bit opened up a floodgate, and now it's almost like he's reliving what he went through with Sarah all over again. So he's definitely afraid of, I think his biggest fear is not getting Ellie there, but failing to protect her along the way and having to watch her go through something similar to what his daughter did. That would not only destroy him, it would also destroy the hope of saving the world. So you've got this like exponential increase on the anxiety so this poor guy is dealing with so much baggage upon baggage upon baggage and it was i agree with you the acting here was phenomenal pedro pascal does really really well with these emotional outlets and then reining it back in watching the sheer raw terror on and and sadness in his face almost brought me to tears yeah it was incredibly powerful good grief this was a really well acted episode and speaking of well acted moments we get one in the next scene, and uh, Joel ends up finally getting to the house, sees that Ellie's light is still on, and what starts off as a conversation about a journal and what life was like pre-apocalypse, you know, boys, what to wear, movies. Ellie is like, I heard what you said. I know that you're going to ditch me. And have Joel, you basically asked, uh, Joel, you asked Tommy to take me instead. And uh, she's like, I stood up for you today. Like, how could you do that? And he's basically like, I made the decision for your own good. You're better off with Tommy. And uh, she basically is like, what are you afraid of? And she says, I'm not her you know, and he's like, don't say another word, and she apologizes to him for losing her his daughter, but she's like, I lost people too, and he's like, you have no idea what loss is, 
and uh, basically he he basically does his best to say to her that Tommy's going to be taken her like he does his best to try to counter argument like every counter argue I should say everything that um she's saying to to the fact that to the decision that he's made that Tommy should be the one to take her and so uh, yeah yeah and uh basically she ends up pouring her heart out to him telling you know him that you know he doesn't have a monopoly on pain that everybody that she has cared for has either died or left her every person except for you and the sort of like the stinger is when she says so don't tell me that i'd be safer with somebody else because the truth is I would just be more scared. And Joel sort of, it seems like coldly responds, you're right, you're not my daughter, and I'm sure as hell not, you know, ain't your dad. And this is where they go their separate ways. You know, that's basically what he says. And uh, we end up seeing Joel get a flashback, a memory before he goes to sleep of... uh, him decorating the Christmas tree with his daughter. And, uh, you know, an incredibly powerful moment where, where he, you know, where this happens, you know, because he just decides to abandon his, you know, a, a, a young girl who has been like a daughter to him. And all of a sudden he has this flashback to his daughter. So the emotions are running high for Joel. The next morning... Ellie has her stuff ready to go. Uh, she hears a knock. It's not Joel. It's Tommy. And uh, she ends up leaving with him. They go to the stables. And Joel is there prepping a horse. Ellie asks him, you know, is, is he there to say goodbye? And he's like, no. Um, and, and he ends up giving this line about he's going to steal a horse and go. And Tommy's like, you know, you could have just asked. Uh, but Joel is like, you know, you deserve a choice. You know, who do you want to take you? Uh, And before he could say anything else, she says, Joel. And uh, so they leave. Joel ends up hugging Tommy. They say their goodbyes. And uh, they head out into the unknown. Although, they've got a lot of supplies. So that's a good thing. So let's talk about this. Vinny, an incredibly powerful moment where Joel and Ellie basically say that they care about each other without saying that they care about each other. But, you know, clearly the bond, the familial bond, has grown between Joel and Ellie. Um, Poor Joel, though, you know, his fear... And everything he was saying to Ellie was based on the fear that he had. Uh, somehow he's, he was able to get over it um, with his decision at the end of it all. But what an intense conversation between both of them. I would, I would say the realest conversation that Joel and Ellie have had 
thus far, right? From what I understand, they've said is season one is potentially going to be the first game. So, you know, we're we're hurtling towards a denouement, and so something's got to give, right? We've we've got to get away from the I don't I don't want to like you, I don't want to care for you, and the bickering, and there had to be some kind of a moment. But let's face it, with these two, there was never going to be, you know, the first ink, the first real interaction that they have that's open and emotion. It was never going to be Hallmark. It was going to be raw because the two characters that one is very not soft-spoken, but he doesn't say a lot that, you know, about his internal feelings. And the other who is your typical cliche, rough around the edges, bad, not bad girl, because she's not really bad, but she thinks she's a bad girl. You know, she she's harsh. And so their communication has not always been the greatest when it comes to serious matters. And so going into this, you kind of have this expectation of like, this is going to be gnarly. And I know in the game, this is one of the most anticipated scenes people were, you know, looking forward and also scared about seeing happen in translation with the the video. And they did a bang up job. I never saw the scene in game and I deliberately didn't watch it. And I'm not going to watch until after now that I've seen the episode. But the way that these two did this, the way this was written, it was very close to the game scene from what I understand. But most importantly, it was true to the characters. You know, Ellie, even when she's opening up and she's delivering the truth, she's being harsh and bitchy about it because she doesn't like sharing her her feelings because she's lost everybody. And Joel doesn't like it because he doesn't want to admit weakness. He doesn't want to admit, you know, that he's scared because he has to be this big figurehead that's like saving her and taking her. But now after being, you know, talked to openly with his brother, he's starting to realize that he can't go on the way that he has been in the past. And he's worried that if he can't go on like that, he's not going to be able to protect her. And so you have these two people with their own issues and baggage trying to communicate openly and honestly. So, of course, it doesn't happen exactly the way that either of them might have wanted it to happen. But this needed to happen. As I said, this was the crescendo they've been building towards an open, raw conversation about why she wants to stay with him and why she has, I mean, she basically said, I've come to care about you without coming out and saying, I care about you. She's letting him know that like everyone has left me except for you, but now you're going to leave me. Basically letting him know, look, I've bonded with you. I care about you. And he's trying to say, I get that, but I don't think I'm good for you anymore. And she's like, I don't care. You know, but he's still taking the coward's way out and she's pissed about it. This was hands down the best scene in the entire episode after Florence and Marlon, of course. Um, (laughs) But yeah, it really, really was. And I think after this, the episode kind of does a 45 degree change. And we'll get into that in a minute. But it needed to happen. It's been building up over the past five episodes. And we really needed to have an honest moment between these two. And this was the perfect time because they're in a moment of protection and sanctuary and they're now having the first real time to relax a little bit and think. So, of course, these feelings crept in. Totally. Yes. And we needed this conversation because of what happens in the next sequence. So uh, let's go on that journey. We see Joel and Ellie. Um, what well, I should say, we should see Joel teaching Ellie how to use a sniper rifle um, and we see them, you know, have a, a wonderfully jokey time uh, as she learns how to shoot it. And then we hear them have a really great conversation about 
Jackson, and was that how things used to be? Joel ends up saying that there were two types of, t- of people in the world, those who wanted to own everything and those who didn't want anyone to own anything at all. Joel says that he was neither, and she asks what he did, and he was a contractor. He explains what that is, and he explains that everyone loved contractors. And so we learn that, or I should say, well, time passes, and we learn that they have been uh, on the road for five days, and that, you know, they, they were able to get to the college from Jackson in a record time and uh, when they arrive at the campus, it looks abandoned. There are monkeys running around the campus. Uh, it seems, like, desolate. Like, like no one's around. But Joel is like, no. You know, the fireflies would be in, in the center of the property, you know, so that the, the rest of the property ends up protecting them. Uh, and, uh, they get to where it, well, they get to, uh, where the biomedical sciences building is because there's a, the Firefly logo on the sign. So they take that to mean that the Fireflies must be there, but the, um, the lookout point, uh, yeah, yeah, where Fireflies should be there at their post, um, are, are not there. Like there's no one there. And so Joel seems a little worried about them entering the building. They end up tying up their horse, and they do enter, and it becomes clear that the Fireflies have abandoned that location. And so they start looking around to see if there's a hint as to where they could be, you know, because they end up finding sort of like a checklist that looks like a packing list. Um, they hear a noise from the second floor, so they go up to investigate, and no, it's not Clickers or anyone else. They were just some monkeys, um, you know, uh, being incredibly curious in the building, and they swiftly jump out the window. And uh, they end up finding a map with several pins heading towards uh, uh, a particular Location That location is St. Mary's Hospital in Salt Lake City, Utah. So they deduce that this must be where the Fireflies are now, where they moved to. They end up hearing some voices. They look out the window and they see four raiders there to raid the location. So they quietly and quickly exit out the back entrance They run to their horse, but Joel is attacked by one of the four. He ends up successfully taking the man out by snapping his neck, which I was very impressed. I'm assuming that's incredibly difficult, but props to Joel. Um, And it looks like they're safe, but this is The Last of Us, and we see that Joel has been stabbed in the gut by a makeshift um, pointy instrument. He pulls the makeshift weapon out, and uh, we all get about as worried as Joel looks at that moment. The other men start running into their direction, so uh, Ellie helps get Joel on the horse, and they flee, 
they escape from the men. They're safe, you know, way down the road. But Joel isn't doing so well, and he falls off the horse. Uh, a lot, a lot of blood is being lost. Uh, Ellie tries to do what she can, uh, but she's just, you know, crying. She's emotional. She's begging him to get up. She doesn't know what to do without him. She doesn't know, you know, what to do. That she needs him. And uh, the episode ends with uh, an acoustic version of Depeche Mode's "Never Let Me Down Again" playing. And as we learned at the end of the very first episode, that 80s music is used as a symbol of danger. And clearly, we're ending in a very dangerous way. Now, I don't think Joel is going to die, but I have no idea how they're going to get out of this situation. Because she is a 14-year-old girl, and I don't feel like she has any medical training. So, what the hell? Um, maybe this is it for Joel. Joel is dead, listeners. Get over it. Now, uh, Vinny, what did you think of these final moments? And we're ending the episode here. Are you worried for Joel at all? Do you think maybe Ellie knows how to crochet and she's just going to knit it back together? (laughs) Like, are you worried? No, only because I do know how the game, the first game ends. So if they're staying as true as they have been so far, I don't think this is it for him yet, um, if at all. Um, but at the same time, doesn't mean that it emotionally punched me in the nards any less. I mean, this was bound to happen. You know, the moment they had their emotional exchange and then a happy, you know, sniper training after, we knew that something was going to come that was going to really test the rawness of their, their newfound, you know, openly caring maybe isn't the right word, but their relate their newfound newly forged relationship. Um, so I'm not worried for him, but I'm worried for Ellie because she's already been through so much that regardless of whether Joel lives or dies, this is going to scar the character. And it just goes back to what she said. You know, everyone who I've cared about has either left me or died. And so now we have the worst case possible happening, which is that she's thinking he might die. So it's a very, very pivotal moment to end the episode on. With me knowing what happens in the game, I'm not as worried. But still at the same time, when I look at the emotional ramifications for Ellie, it is pretty serious. Yeah. Like, how the hell? Like, they're going to have to find, a, like, a nice person to help. And I don't know how that's going to happen, because clearly those men that were raiding are not going to be nice people after their Joel murked one of them, you know? Yeah. Mm-mm-mm. I have no idea how this is going to get fixed. And based off of the promo for the next episode, I feel like we're not going to find out until the episode after that. I, I won't ruin anything if you didn't see the promo. Um, but yeah, um, I, 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 yeah, I, I'm worried for Joel. Um, yeah, I, I have no idea how this is going to get fixed. So hopefully there's a nice person out there that's just walking who happens to be a doctor and can, you know, fix, stitch, Joel up, maybe has some antibiotics and, uh, and that sort of thing. Uh, if not, I hope Ellie knows how to do something. I don't feel like she does. 
um, yeah. Ellie, I have no faith in you. But um, maybe you do. Maybe you learned something at like Fedra, and uh, you know they gave some sort of uh, scouts type of uh, um, instruction on if you get hurt, this is what you should do, and maybe those memories will start flooding back. But That's outside okay. of that, like I have no idea how Joel is going to survive. Although I do feel like he's going to survive. One thing that's interesting, though, is, and I'm not a nurse or a doctor or anything, but I've I've seen enough of these scenarios in movies and whatnot, and I've, you know, in, encountered, you know, people who work in Antine. But am I wrong, or when you were stabbed like that, isn't it really fucking stupid to pull the weapon out before you can get help? I believe that is true, and I believe... What I will say is I think it was more so a panic reaction versus anything else. But it definitely made his situation worse because of all places to have been stabbed, he was stabbed in the stomach. And any kind of wound to the stomach is like known as like the worst. <laughs> Which is probably why the writers wrote it that way. Yeah. Oh, gosh. Mm-mm-mm. And that was a big-ass pointy thing. Like... Remnant of that baseball bat that broke when the guy swung at him. Right? That was yeah. that was a lot. So he's got splinters too. Yes. Yeah. Mm-mm-mm. Joel, we're thinking about you. Uh, we're you're gonna be fine, but we're we're very worried for you. Alright. Was there anything that I missed or anything that you wanted to bring up before we head into the MVP, Vinny? Once again, the filming on this show is phenomenal. I mean, I have a bottom line 4K TV. I don't have like OLED QHD or anything like that, but it is just literally some moments. It's like I'm watching the Discovery Channel. You know, the people who are filming this have an amazing eye. Totally. I agree with you. It is a gorgeously shot movie. Not movie, but a gorgeously shot series, Um, period. You know, especially for the post-apocalyptic world. It is just the way that they've been able to shoot it and the way that they've been able to do the sets and everything. I mean, it it looks spectacular. So now it's time for the MVP, the most valuable player. State which character impressed you throughout the episode and why. Once a character has been chosen, they cannot be selected again. So choose wisely. All right, Vinny, you're up first. Who is your MVP and why? Oh, man. There actually, for once, there are so many choices in an episode, it's kind of nice. Like, if Priscilla was here, we would have an embarrassment of riches. <laughs> right. Um, you know, oh, there's so many good choices. But honestly, for me, and this is going to seem silly, but I'm going to sell it, it's Florence. I Nice. Yeah, because, you know, when you have shows like this, you have the bad and you have the good, but they're always like extreme, but you don't often get those vignettes and those moments that are small, but have like resonating ramifications. I wouldn't say that Florence and Marlon had ramifications, but in a way, the two of them did kind of act as like a parallel for Ellie and Joel, obviously not romantic, but the way that Florence and Marlon played off of each other and the way that Florence kind of came back and was like, "Uh uh-huh, uh-huh. It was almost like the bickering that Joel and Ellie have. And these two characters, for some reason, they just stuck out to me. Even after the episode was over and I met Tommy and I met Maria, Maria, who was my number two. I think the reason that for me, Florence was my MVP because she provided 
a moment of comfort in an unforgiving world, which I think more than anything for Joel and Ellie on their journey was something that they so desperately needed. You know, Joel letting his guard down around them what was she gave him soup, you know, she didn't get up from her chair and try to attack him. It was a moment of comfort that these two characters are probably never going to know again. They didn't even have it when they got to Jackson. This was just an isolated incident that was something that I think that kind of helped both of them. There's still good people in the world, you know, and I think it's important to show that in movies and shows like these. You don't always have to have zombies or clickers or massive battles or always have these, you know, megalomaniacal villains. Sometimes you just really need to have the small moments. And I love when we have vignettes like these of the journey of characters and they meet someone or a couple or whatever or family that we never see again, but we remember them. And these two, especially Florence, are the ones that I remember the most of this episode, so they get my MVP. She does. Very nice. I I agree. Uh, You know, if this was an episode where we didn't have many choices, she would be up there on my list because she was fantastic. There were just so many choices Mm -hmm. in this one. I almost wish that Priscilla was here because then she she would be able to take one of the ones that we aren't choosing. (laughs) Yeah. I'm going to go for the obvious one, um, even though I, I feel like I already MVP'd him when I was discussing the moment, but I'll just do it for extra emphasis. But Joel, Joel was phenomenal in this episode. Uh, I mean, I would say the duo is phenomenal, but um, I'm not going to break the rules while Priscilla's gone. Uh, but Joel was just stellar this episode. Pe- Pedro Pascal was just amazing as Joel everything that we saw every single emotion his emoting his acting body language like all of it was tour de force acting for me he was phenomenal from beginning to end Um, yes so uh, Joel for me now it's time to rate the episode how would you rate this episode on a scale of 1 to 10 infected the point system is allowed. If you found the episode exceptional, deserving of more than a 10, you may grant it the coveted Golden Infected. Vinny, where do you stand? How would you rate this episode, episode 6 of uh, The Last of Us? So if you have any mushroom enthusiasts listening to us, they'll get my joke. But this is a Golden Crown Infected for me. Golden Crown is a kind of mushroom. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, this is hands down Golden Across the Board. You know, coming out of the story arc that took up two of the previous episodes, other than Henry and Sam, I was really disappointed in those two. And that's where the series was kind of losing me because we came out of Frank and Bill. And then we ended up with this story that I felt didn't need to be two episodes with a really traumatic ending that was, for me, really the only promising and valuable part of those two episodes. And now we have this one, which is an exercise in the efficacy of complex storytelling without massive delivery you know the dialogue it was a very dialogue heavy episode which very easily could have veered into way too much talking that didn't make any sense but every conversation mattered every conversation provided character development some exposition about history it revealed things about characters that we haven't seen in a while and by the end of the episode, you're really left, you know, thinking about it. Not too much actually happened except in the last like 10, 15 minutes of the episode. Most of it was just Ellie and Joel on their journey, which if you play the game, that's most of what the experience of the game is. Them 
trekking across America to get to a place and everything they encountered therein. But it didn't need anything monumental like in the past two episodes to happen. And so I think for me, walking away from this, my hope is reinvigorated as we head into the final three, because this was such an emotionally impactful episode and it ended on such a cliffhanger that I think now we're going to start to get into the meat and potatoes of what will probably be the crowning achievement of the series. So only my second golden so far, but uh, definitely gold across the board. And I will co-sign. This episode was fantastic from beginning to end. It wasn't action-y or anything like that, and I think we expect something like that from a post-apocalyptic world show, but the exposition was just so damn good in this episode. From beginning to end, you know, from the couple that we met at the beginning to the various one-on-one conversations that were had in this episode, this was it, it just an incredibly well-written and, and a beautifully acted episode from everyone. Um, if if I could give a collective MVP to every single person in this episode, I would, because I feel like everybody really shined brightly in their individual roles this episode. Uh, This was just a fantastic episode from beginning to end. So I will co-sign with you, Vinny. This is a golden episode of The Last of Us. And on that note, join us next time for a brand new installment of the Cordyceps Chronicles. Here's our announcer to remind you on how you can interact with us. Follow Poppy Chula Radio on social media. We are on Facebook. Instagram, Twitter, at Poppy Chula Radio. Do you have any questions, suggestions, comments, or concerns? Email us via contact at poppychularadio.com. Are you interested in joining the Poppy Chula Radio team as an on-air personality? Email talent at poppychularadio.com. Binge listen to your favorite Poppy Chula Radio programs by visiting poppychularadio.com slash archives. You can also download tonight's broadcast and the rest of the series through Apple Podcasts and Google Play. Just search for The Cordyceps Chronicles and subscribe. Thanks, announcer. My co-host, please wish the listeners a good night. Don't worry too much, everyone. I'm sure we'll find out what happens to Joel soon enough. Thanks for tuning in. Subscribe to The Cordyceps Chronicles via Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and iHeartRadio. New episodes release every Tuesday. You can also download the entire series by visiting poppychularadio.com slash archives. Good night.